And welcome to Mamsie's Humanity First Podcast. I am Chris Ryan. First podcast of calendar year 2023. So as we do Ask the CEO today, we're going to focus on the future and what 2023 holds here at Bamsey. Peter, how are you? I'm well, thanks, Happy Chris. New Year, Peter. And Happy New Year to you, Chris. It's good to be here. So let's start off with what is your vision for this calendar year? What are you hoping to you know, accomplish here at Bamsey and how are you going to build upon some of the things that were successful in 2022? Yeah, it's a big question. And uh, I would say, what are we looking forward to uh, uh, accomplishing over the next 12 months? I think one thing that is in everybody's mind is, uh, are we getting further away from the pandemic um, that has really taken up all of our time over the last two weeks? Actually, it'll be three years in March since we went into lockdown in uh, 2020, which is an extraordinary thing. We've learned an awful lot. Uh, we've been through an awful lot. Um, we've had to change the way we do things. Uh, I, I was thinking about it the other day, you know, when your prime uh, role is to keep people alive, you know, the other things sort of fall by the wayside. And I think that's happened to a certain extent in lots of organizations. Um, we really, the way I look at it is it's, it's a, really a question of rebooting the organization and making sure that we're getting back to basics and that we're just reestablishing some of the quality metrics and some of the uh, outcomes um, that we've sort of neglected over the past two or three years. Um, and by the way, that is true for every industry, I think. Um, you know, what have we learned? What have we, what have, how have we suffered as a group? How are we recovering from that? How are we looking after each other? And how are we getting back to a sense of um, whatever that normal is? I think people call it the new normal, but that's a bit of old, old now. But, um, you know, um, what are our projects going forwards? And how do we actually begin to say to each other what are the most important things we, that, uh, we, can, that we should be doing in the organization? Somebody once said to me, if you have more than five um, uh, priorities, your, you don't have any priorities at all. And I sort of subscribe to that. So what is it about that is going to push us forward? Uh, and that, of course, re- reflects back on what we have in our strategic plan um, and what the strategic, strategic plan is going to get us to in terms of a high-quality, um, satisfied uh, staff group who, uh, who are everything to this organization. So lots to do in the next 12 months. And I think that you know it's fair to say that a lot of the focus is on – revenue, right? And how the organization goes about creating uh, different and sustained revenue streams. So take us through that thought process and how um, think, things could develop there in 2023. Yeah, I mean, I think revenue is, it, it, there's two ways, right? How do you develop revenues? How do you um, enhance the revenues that you have? And enhancing the revenues that we have comes from uh, part of our strategic plan, which is resource management. How do we make sure that there isn't waste in our system? How do we make sure that we incent uh, the people who work here to join in with with saving money for the organization. You know, 70-something percent of our expenditures are on salaries, wages, agency, and overtime. Um, you know, if we can fix the uh, vacancy issues in the organization, then we'll reduce the cost of agency, for instance. So that is a huge piece as we're going forward, this issue of uh, reducing the number of vacancies in the organization. 
But also that other 30% of what we spend, we really need to pay really close attention to that. Um, we know that energy prices have gone through the roof this year. So what are we doing to ensure that we're not wasting our resources um, on our uh, heating, uh, our light and electricity, electricity uh, bills, which you know are already coming in at <laughs> nearly twice what they were the year before? So it is about revenue streams. You know, when we think about our pharmacy, um, which we'll, we're going to be opening this uh, month, um, you know, that's another revenue stream we're looking at. We're looking at lots of other different um, ideas. Um, transportation is something that we're looking into at the moment because, you know, it is so difficult to get transport for our folks, especially those with high medical need. So what would it look like if we began to do that ourselves? And that's a, a project that we're really looking into at the moment. You know, and how do we maximize our revenue in terms of the of the work that we're doing? Um, and uh, that might mean not farming so many things out. Um, uh, you know, I think about plow. It's the season, right, to, to, to talk about snow. Uh, you never know what's going to happen in a winter unless you read the al- almanac. Um, this this year is not supposed to be as heavy snowfall. But, you know, is there a chance of us looking to do some of that ourselves and having to rely on um, – uh, on uh, companies that you know don't always turn up uh, mm-hmm. for us, um, so this this idea of doing things ourselves and doing them better, I think, is another piece of our strategic plan that says how can we be self sufficient and inc- imp- improve the quality of what we're doing for people. I want to continue on that in a second, but I had a question about you know the heating side of things where there's uh, different programs like LIHEAP, um, which aids individuals who are of low income. Uh, is the organization able to get help um, with the funding uh, when it comes to helping low-income individuals um, be warm during the, the winter? And are you able to access those those funds to offset some of the costs? I don't know if we're able to offset, offset, uh, access some of those funds, but, what, but I know, and we had a meeting about this earlier today, actually, that we have our helpline program, and we've certainly had Curtis Felix on the show to talk about um, what Helpline does. It's a program that punches way above its uh, weight, as you remember, Chris, in terms of what we can give back to the to the uh, to the community of Brockton, and we do that, especially over the last two years with COVID. We've been able to really raise a lot of money, uh, you know, a couple of hundred thousand uh, dollars that we that has gone straight back out the door. Uh, the requests for financial assistance for heat have gone up significantly, as you can imagine, uh, and we've been able to meet those needs. I worry that we won't be able to because because we're really giving away an awful lot in terms of heat and light. Um, I would encourage people, if they're listening to this, to uh, make a donation to Helpline. Uh, Helpline is just raw help. It is, I need help with the basic needs, and we will do that. No means testing, no nothing, but uh, and just sort of look at the resources that we have and get out the door. So we're doing that. We're doing a lot of, uh, of that. Um, well, uh, plug for City of Brockton, and I know we cover an awful lot of towns, but Brockton do some great stuff with that. Um, and City Hall are always putting out you know, free turkey giveaways or help with uh, heating. And we pass those 
messages along to our folks who are struggling in the community. Um, and Brockton does a lot within the school districts as well with helping people. So these are difficult times, but there are a lot of people uh, willing to help with that. And we see ourselves very much as part of that system of support for people. So on the transportation side, before we get to you know plowing and some of the uh, the building maintenance and things of that nature, but on the, the transportation side specifically, I mean, what is the, the vision uh, there? Is it to have a more efficient fleet? Is it to have individuals who are... You know, specific drivers to utilize a um, you know, an Uber type of methodology when it comes to um, prioritizing and scheduling uh, travel? I mean, what's the, the thought process and how do you go about saving money from what the current model is? Yeah, I think there's a I think there's a few things that are involved in there. The cost of transportation has gone up um, really ridiculously over the last year. And I think I said this before in one of our podcasts, but uh, not our agency, but the state were quoted uh, for another uh, individual transported another agency a hundred thousand dollars a year for transportation from A to B, uh, you know, on a daily basis. I think it was to a day house. I mean, that is just an outrageous amount of money. Now, I'm not, you know, I, I, I know that the vans are expensive. I know gas is expensive, but there's a little bit. If, if you ask me, there's a bit of gouging going on there. So. Is that an opportunity for us to do that at a more reasonable price within uh, Bamsey for our own people to start with? Because one of the things that we really struggle with is the reliability of companies who offer these services. They're struggling as well with filling some of these. And drivers are a really difficult um, sort of class of employee to, to get hold of these days. So what if we did it ourselves? What if we used our own fleet um, what if we bought um, or, or leased more vehicles to do our own transportation with a view in the end, Chris, to offering that to other organizations who are smaller than we are, who you know we could provide that service for? There's an awful lot of thought that has to go into that right now. If you begin to provide services on your on your own, do you have to have a livery plate for everything? Is there a different license that people have to have for for buses that are over you know mm-hmm. six or seven passengers? Yes, all of those things. So it's about feasibility, uh, and then doing some fin- financial planning to see do contracts uh, support all of that expense over a two to five year period so we're in the middle of looking at that at the moment but remember the reason we're doing it the reason we're doing pharmacy is because we weren't getting good services for our folks uh, for their meds uh, and at least when we're doing it we have control over that and we can make the changes we need if there are if there are um, dips in quality I suppose and how about on the maintenance side of things I mean is there a thought to having a department that does specifically that type of thing, whether it's mowing the grass or doing the gardening, um, making sure that you get around from place to place to plow snow and put sand down during the the winter. And is there a challenge in that, as you mentioned, there's not like uh, one specific campus where everything is. It's all across the the region. So you mentioned, you know, wanting to make sure you can provide a time or that you weren't getting necessarily a timely service when it came to plowing and, and winter maintenance is there concern that you couldn't provide that given the um the landscape yeah i think it is i mean I, we we would start with where most of our programs are and as you know most of our programs are in the brockton area and surrounding towns so i think we'd start with that yeah i mean painting is a good a, a example that we've been talking about recently you know we're painting things all the time you know there's like 
paint the Golden Gate Bridge, right? Once you've painted it, you've got to paint it coming back the other way. And, you know, our properties are a bit like that. So the question is, why use painters who are charging us an outrageous amount of money a day and we don't know how many hours they're showing up? We're saying, well, what if we enhanced our maintenance? I just want to say a thing for our maintenance crew. There's you know, five of them, I think, and they're just unbelievably – they cover so much and they do such wonderful work and, and they are much loved within this organization. The, the question is, do we need to build up that team? Obviously, we would do if we wanted a full-time painter, full-time plumber. You know, Are there benefits to bringing that, uh, that kind of service in-house? And I, I think there are uh, uh, because – there is, I mean, let's face it, there is a broad spectrum of the quality of service that you get at the moment. And there's the control piece, too, where if you have a plumber, then that's, and there's not going to be any other priority. It's gonna, they're going to be that, there, and they're going to fix the problem right away. That's right. And when you have... Electrician. Yeah, and when you have 90 homes, right. it's pretty, you know, it's pretty... Um, sure that you're going to have you know something that's not going right on a particular day so you know i think it is time to look at that and and you're right get some more control over the quality of the services that we're providing so looking ahead to other projects in 2023 what jumps out at you um things that you know you're looking to accomplish things that you're looking to to finish to build upon that started in 2022 yeah well the big one of course is the ccbhc the certified community behavioral health center uh, the status of which we got uh, last summer, and we've been ramping up to open on um, April the 1st. Maybe we'll open on the 2nd um, of uh, uh, 2023. You know, we are going to be a safety net provider so that people who walk into our Whitman office, which is going to be where the CCBHC is, and a couple of other locations, by the way, um, we will be able to serve that. Uh, individual regardless of ability to pay etc cetera, etc cetera. Uh, that's a big move for us uh, there's so much need in our community uh, I think the growing of our substance use disorder services um, the hiring of our nurse practitioners and our new chief medical officer who has been on this show who is a medication assisted treatment um, uh, provider um, will be able to provide outpatient uh, uh, treatment for opioids. I think that's a huge deal. We've all seen, you know, even before COVID, we were in the midst um, of a, a, a terrible scourge in terms of the in terms of opioids. You know, when you, I was listening to a show yesterday, you know, ninety five percent of the overdose deaths for opioids in this country have something to do with fentanyl, mm-hmm. and that fentanyl is coming from all over the world into this in, into this country um, and you know attacking that is really important the idea of uh, providing narcan you know there's a bill at the moment of, in in, in uh, washington to develop an over the counter narcan uh, which is makes perfect sense to me so that we can have everybody who is involved some way like parents like friends of people who are using who can have narcan on them so that they can um, administer that uh, and it's a very easy um, administering um, uh, which actually just saves lives and in fact you know as they say a dead person doesn't recover you give somebody a chance to recover we're going to be investing in the provision of that services service we're growing our services in our uh, cope program and our t-core program 
you know, in terms of harm reduction. I'm, I'm very proud of that. I'm proud that we're that we're doing that kind of work, even though it's not particularly popular with some people in our communities. But, you know, the work that we're doing is literally saving people's lives in terms of harm reduction, in terms of capturing people at a time when they're most likely to say, you know, I think I need to try something different. Mm. Um, and I, I see us growing that. Unfortunately, that's a growing population of, of need. Uh, so we'll be we'll be doing that uh, with a couple of grants that we've got. Um, and. Of course, our Foundry Street uh, program is going to be opening in the in the new year, which is one of the I would say one of the best um, built and um, appointed houses in the state for people with ABI and high medical need, and that's in Easton. Uh, it's been a three year project, um, but it really should be in homes and gardens as a an example of how to build a custom home for people who have those kind of needs. I'm very proud of that too. In conclusion, on the substance misuse and mental health side of things, this is something you've been talking about and working on for you know, for many, many years. But as we've seen an increase in usage uh, um, of substances and also you know, more of a focus and awareness when it comes to mental health, it would appear that you know, the federal government and the state of Massachusetts are going to have to make significant investments to address these issues moving forward and there's more momentum building in that direction so do you see for this organization um the need to put yourself in a position so that when that significant investment comes and there is a looking around of okay what organizations can fill this need that bamsey is there and that ends up becoming um, an even more significant part of the of the organization. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, um, Chris, you and I have worked together for I don't know, probably the best part of a decade now. And and, and in another state, um, you know, we really pushed the envelope on making sure that we had an organization that had the ability to respond. Uh, to the need for treatment and prevention. Same thing here. Uh, we, that's what we've been doing, um, you know, th- with Jess Almeida sort of leading that um, that uh, drive, uh, encouraging people to become licensed uh, as providers, LADAX 1 and 2, um, and just increasing the knowledge in the agency. We're about to roll out a, a substance use disorder 101, which is based on some trainings we've done in the past around making people aware of the disease, um, addressing the stigma, and educating people about the power of recovery. All of those things together, along with the treatment that we're providing, I think is the beginning, if you ask me, of a of a real public health initiative to address this, which we never really have had in this country for mental health or substance use disorder. I think people are beginning to pay attention to it across the land. I do remember when Hillary Clinton was running uh, back in 2016, you know, she, a big part of her um, storytelling, if you like, was working with people um, uh, loved uh, whose loved ones are addicted to opioids. And I think it's really stayed on the radar. It's got worse because of, of COVID, because of the isolation uh, of folks in the, in the world, really. Um, and I think we're just positioning ourselves to be poised to be a helper in this massive project that's going to take decades. Peter, as always, great to see you. Happy New Year and look forward to continuing the podcast here in 2023. Thanks, Chris. Happy New Year to you.